Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, May the 5th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics Podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. To help fund his massive proposed stimulus package for the American economy, US President Joe Biden has proposed an increase in that country's main corporate tax rate from 21 to 28%. He has also proposed that a tax levied on the global income of US companies should be increased from the current 105 to 21%. And that global rate and how it might be applied are of vital interest to Ireland as it could influence the taxes paid by the many large US companies with operations here. If it exceeds the Irish corporate tax rate of 12.5%, then US firms could be forced to make top-up payments in America, which might significantly affect their future strategy here. Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue has defended Ireland's corporate tax rate as being fair and within the ambit of healthy tax competition. He argues that small countries need to be able to use tax policy as a sort of a legitimate lever to compensate for the various advantages of scale and location, resources and indeed history enjoyed by larger countries. But some believe that the American proposals have injected a much needed shot of adrenaline into rather sluggish international attempts to close the loopholes that allow multinational corporations to pay far less tax than they should, or indeed none at all, as was reported with Amazon's European operations only this week. Meanwhile, OECD plans to require digital companies to pay tax in the countries where they actually sell their services also threaten the Irish model of using low corporate tax to attract companies like Facebook and Google here to set up large operations. So all the signs are that this Irish model, which has benefited this country enormously over the last few decades, may be coming under sustained pressure as international sentiment turns increasingly against the ways in which these extraordinarily rich companies avoid paying their fair share of tax. To discuss what might happen now and indeed what should happen, uh, I'm delighted to welcome Fergal O'Rourke. Fergal is managing partner at PwC and I think it's fair to say, Fergal, that you're widely regarded as the man who more than any other single individual makes the Irish corporate tax model tick. Is that fair? Well, I was amazed with your introduction there, straight out of the Marxist-Leninist left-wing, big companies are bad. No, I'd like to think, uh, Hugh, that I've spent most of my working life trying to help play a small part in bringing what is currently 188,000 people employed directly by US multinationals here in Ireland, with about the same number, again, indirectly employed. And I think those people listening uh, to the Irish Times podcast, of which I'm a regular listener myself, um, will know that we've had a very successful model over the last 30 or 40 years, bringing operations of substance here, not just brass plates like tax havens. You walk around the Apple uh, campus or the Google campus or the Facebook campus, Most of these are the biggest campuses outside their headquarters in California or wherever they are. Our model has been very successful. Uh, But you're right, the times are changing and we're entering an era of bigger government and bigger government requires more money. And that's what this debate is about. It's not about equity or fairness. It's about governments requiring more money. 
I stand reproved on my Marxist-Leninism. I haven't been accused of that for a while, so it's nice, nice to get it anyway. I also want to welcome our other guest today because um, John Christensen, he's is co-founder and chairman of the Tax Justice Network. And that's an advocacy group consisting of a coalition of researchers and activists with a shared concern, uh, they say, about tax avoidance and tax competition and tax havens. John, do you agree, uh, whatever about the, the detail, which we'll get into in a little while, that things are going to start tightening up in this area, and which I presume you would welcome if it were to happen. Oh, very much I'd welcome it. And of course, I'm a Marxist Leninist former chief economic advisor to the government of Jersey, a tax haven. So, so I mean, the, the talk about Marxism, Leninism is not quite grown up. You simply cannot attach that to Joe Biden or to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It's not at all helpful to talk with that kind of language. What we're seeing here is an attempt to to shape globalisation. And Joe Biden's been very explicit about this in his speeches, which I totally welcome, in saying he wants to make globalisation work for the middle class and for the working class of America and for the rest of the world. And in that respect, it's a very welcome reversal away from the model of globalisation that we've seen. And that's the model within which Ireland sits as a tax haven, which has been totally to the benefit of billionaires uh, and the ultra-powerful ultra, uh, uh, major companies, which, of course, is totally opposed to capitalism in the true sense of competition, because... Um, as it happens, tax competition, the very idea of tax competition, undermines real competition between companies because it allows the big multinational companies, the Amazons and the Googles and all the rest of them, to undermine competition by giving them uh, favourable tax treatment which is not available to smaller companies which don't trade internationally. So the very idea that tax competition in itself is a good thing is to be challenged. It is not. In almost all cases, in fact, I would say in all cases, tax competition is a very bad thing. I want to put that point about tax competition to uh, to Fergal in a second. But first, can I come back to you? Because Fergal made the point that Ireland isn't a pure brass plate operation. It's not the Cayman Islands. I can walk uh, a kilometre down the road here and I see massive offices that employ tens of thousands of people in uh, in, in companies like Google and Facebook and, and other ones as well. So that there is actual real taxable economic activity going on in Ireland, and that's that's legitimate. Yeah, of course there is some taxable uh, and legitimate activity, there's no question about that, but for all it's worth, if you walk through the uh, International Financial Centre in Cayman, and I've done that, or in Jersey, and I've, obviously I've done that, there are other big businesses employing lots of people, but there's no question about it, Ireland is used by multinational companies to shift profits out of what are called the source countries, in other words, the countries where the profits are genuinely created, um, through Ireland onto subsidiaries in other, in other countries. I mean, in the case of Apple, of course, Apple famously moved, moved their headquarters to Jersey. Um, but uh, Apple had uh, you know, negotiated extremely favourable tax treatment, I think less than 2%. Um, uh, in Ireland, and that's a signifier of a tax haven activity. Fergal, a tax haven? Well, actually, I'm surprised John has mentioned Apple because when the European Commission took the case to court, they got their head handed to them on a plate. They, they actually, the victory in the Apple case was a victory for the rule of law. Uh, and you, uh, John has is fighting yesterday's battles. John should be erecting a statue to Donald Trump because what the Tax uh, uh, Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 did was made sure that US companies 
are taxed on their global profits. No longer would they be able to defer paying US tax on their profits anymore. And what Joe Biden do, is doing now is continuing that. So let's not fight yesterday's battles. US companies are now paying tax on their global profits. And John rightly raises the issue of the ta- it's a fair tax, not a fair tax. And if I can explain that to you, for 100 years, backed by the big countries, we've had a tax system uh, that deals with cross-border commerce. And that was a tax system that was drawn up after the First World War. And we effectively have a tax system that was written at the early part of the 20th century. And we've got business models that were constructed in the first part of the 21st century. And what we're seeing now is the mismatch of those two systems. But unlike the laws of celestial physics, uh, where the sun will always rise in the east in the morning and two and two will always equal four, tax laws are man-made. And what we have an opportunity here, and what Pascal Santaman, who in my view will be the most influential figure in tax in about 50 years, uh, what he's trying to do at the moment is change the system of taxation for cross-border activities, which we've had for nearly 100 years. And again, if I can get nerdy for a second, Hugh, broadly speaking, uh, the way it's worked for 100 years is you needed physical activity in a jurisdiction to create a taxable presence there. You needed boots on the ground. But what happened in the 21st century was with the advent of e-commerce and services, you didn't need to have boots on the ground. So companies were able to sell into jurisdictions and not pay any tax there because they had no activities there. In the same way as a mail order business would have done that 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. What Pascal Santamal is doing now with the OECD is saying, look, even if you've got nobody in that jurisdiction, if you're making sales there, you need to pay some tax there. And that's a perfectly acceptable philosophical proposition. And in fact, one which Ireland have embraced and embracing it, knowing that they would be handing some of their own revenues over to other jurisdictions. So um, I, I think probably John and I would find more to agree on than we would disagree on. The world of tax is changing. There is a new paradigm emerging where even if you've got no physical activities in a country, you will pay tax there. We've embraced that. We're doing it. Pascal Donoghue and the government have have fully cooperated with the OECD. It will be to our cost. We will be handing somewhere between one and two billion of tax revenues over to other jurisdictions. But the U.S., Uh, change of 2017 was a game changer. And Joe Biden is simply building on this. But on the issue of competition, I would disagree with John. Um, And coming from a small island on the periphery of Europe, where when we joined the European Union, uh, what is now the European Union in 1973, uh, we had a lot, uh, we didn't have much going for us beyond the periphery of Europe. I think it's perfectly acceptable to have fair tax competition, because we do need a legitimate lever to compensate for the fact that the Frances and Germanys have scale, location, resources, industrial heritage. Um, But there needs to be clear boundaries to ensure that any competition is fair and it is sustainable. So the idea of tax competition is bad or good, uh, I, I think unfair tax competition is bad, fair tax competition is good. Well, would it be fair to say, and I'll come back to you in a sec on that, John, because I'm sure you have plenty to say about that. Would it be fair to say that some of the practices um, which were in place over the over the last couple of decades, for example, the famous double Irish, which has only come to an end now, that those 
can't really, in any objective sense, be characterised as as fair competition. And they saw vast amounts of income going to these to certain corporations and them paying no tax on it at all. And that Irish financial services played a large part in facilitating that and were very, very slow to get out of it in the end. We're only finally out of the double Irish now for what reason I don't understand. Gosh, where do I start there? Um, Irish financial services, Hugh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure of the connection, but I, I don't think there's anything to do with Irish financial services. Let's just put that to one side. Well, I beg your pardon, Irish corporate services then. The kind of advice would you, would you give to, uh, to your clients? Well, no. And in fact, to the organ of the Irish Times, Hugh, I was one of the probably the first person to come out in 2013 uh, publicly to say that I didn't believe the double Irish was part of uh, Ireland's sustainable uh, offering going forward as a, as a tax offering. And in fact, when I came out first, I got pilloried in certain quarters from saying that. But it was of its time, Hugh. And you have to recognise that the US, the US facilitated that. And in 2017, the US decided they weren't having it anymore and closed it. So that was a proposition absolutely tacitly accepted by the United States to allow their companies not to pay tax on foreign profits until they brought them home. But again, you know, there's a if you say Apple to most people, they will say, Apple, Ireland, tax avoidance. What did the court say, Hugh? The court threw it out on its ear. That was a political case taken by the European Commission, where the court rightly uh, and very clearly and unambiguously said, you're wrong. And I think it was probably a very political move to appeal the case. I believe they'll get the very same decision at the next court. So you're right. Moving forward, fair tax competition is where it's at. And I believe 12.5% as a rate is a fair mechanism of tax competition. John, you've been sitting very patiently there and there's been a lot said, including a presumption that there might actually be some commonality of viewpoints between yourself and Fergal. Maybe we could ask you about that first. Well, let's let's begin with that. Um, absolutely, I, I am um, very closely connected to the Organisation of Economic Cooperation and Development. I've, I've known Pascal Santamans, who Fergal talked about for many, many years. We, we, we talk regularly. And of course, the direction that they're heading towards, I won't go into the uh, kind of nerdy details, it's generally called unitary taxation, um, is one which I've been pushing for, for decades. Um, uh, and it's in line, with, interestingly, because uh, Fogel's quite right about the history of this. The history goes back well over a century now um, and, 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 and was being discussed in the 1920s by the League of Nations. Economists at that time were pushing very much in the direction of where the OECD is taking us now. So I think we, we, we are in genuine risk of uh, genuine risk here of, of being furiously in agreement with one another which is which is which is very marxist leninist i suppose um but but i mean Fogel, um the the apple issue i quite agree about the apple issue i think the european union was misconceived to use existing competition law which is not designed for this to try to challenge it the failure is in the more global law, and it is a complete failure to to adjust the rules for taxing multinational companies. And this failure, as you say, goes back to the 1920s, 1930s, um, and to bring them into line with the 20th, 21st century. Uh, but I would say, by the way, it doesn't just apply to the digital platforms. Um, it also applies as much to every other trading company and producing company as it does to the digital platform, because the rules have allowed them to play endless games with shifting intellectual property rights with brand names set up in the company in the Cayman Islands or, you know, uh, the patents and licenses 
set up in a, a, an offshore company in, in Bermuda. So the rules have completely failed and they've been failing for decades. And that, of course, was why the, the, the Tax Justice Network set out on this path of pushing for reform to the global rules. So, of course, I welcome where the OECD is taking us. Um, I, I think that, that, that one thing that's missing from the OECD process is a thorough understanding of how the interests of the poorer countries of the global south can be properly represented because, of course, they only account for a certain a small proportion yes. of, the, of the sales. And I think that, that we can agree upon that as well, that that, that that is an issue that needs to be addressed. I would agree that Trump started the process, but I think Biden has taken it further particularly in addressing this issue of tax competition, because his uh, Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who, by the way, is one of the world's most important and influential economists, she has explicitly rejected the idea of tax competition, recognising that it has undermined, in the case of the United States, undermined productivity, it's undermined investment in infrastructure, undermined investment in training of, uh, of personnel. All the things that a state needs to do just hasn't been happening in the United States for a long time. You don't need me to tell you it hasn't been happening elsewhere either. Uh, so what tax competition does is, first of all, it undermines the ability of sovereign states to determine their own tax rates because they're being engaged in a race to the bottom by smaller jurisdictions, places like Jersey, which is where I come from, uh, which are setting tax rates at zero. Now, that, that's just complete madness and it's cannibalising the tax regimes of other countries. So I think we need to recognise that this is actually anti-democratic. It's undermining the ability of sovereign states to set their own tax rates. But it also invariably, it only, it only benefits the powerful companies and their directors and their shareholders. It doesn't benefit anybody else. And that's a kind of false competition in, in, because competition, economic competition, belongs in the realm of microeconomics. That is the competition between the firms. And when some firms get subsidised through special tax breaks and tax holidays and this, that and other, and other, other companies aren't, then you clearly have harmful, harmful competition. Uh, there's no question about that and you won't find any economist who argues against that. Um, and possibly most serious of all, you know, this tax competition has worsened inequality to the, to the stage where we now find that social stability across the world is being undermined because states simply cannot provide for the needs of their citizens. And in the era of COVID, this needs, drastic, this needs to be drastically remedied. And that means a complete revision of the tax rules. Fergal, you wanted to come in there. No, no, I was just, I, I, I was just asking the question. I'm, I'm not sure I'd agree with John's analysis that um, tax competition from Ireland will undermine the US. If the Biden proposals come in, John, it doesn't matter if the Irish rate is 12 and a half. Uh, the US corporations will pay at the higher Biden rate. Wouldn't you accept that proposition? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I welcome what Biden is doing, because he's pushing back against tax, tax competition. But what it won't do, and this, is, this is, should be of great concern to all of us, it won't remedy the situation for the countries of the global south, which we find there, the, 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 the profits that are being generated by multinational companies in their own countries are being shifted offshore and, and they're being undermined by, by uh, constant pressure from multinational companies to give more subsidies, more tax breaks and to reduce their tax, the tax, oh, the corporate income tax rates. It, it, it's interesting taking John's analysis there then. The issue isn't a fair share of tax. It's 
where the tax is being paid. And if I understand John's proposition correctly, you know, I, I absolutely agree that the, the impoverished southern countries uh, are the ones who need the revenue. But under the Biden proposals, those US corporations will be paying tax back in the US on those profits. John wants them to pay in the country of source. That's therefore the, the, the issue there is the country of source, John, needs to be the one who gets tough with those US multinationals and say, you're paying your tax here in this country that you operate in. Yeah, well, well, absolutely. I, mean, Fergal, I have to say that, once again, we're in furious agreement with one another. And I mean, one of the initiatives that I triggered, and I'm not sure if you've heard of this, but I love it, is an organisation called Tax Inspectors Without Borders. Uh, and, and when you decide to kind of join the goodies and, and get involved, look them up. It's a, it's a joint initiative by the United Nations Development Programme and the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. So look them up on your search engine. They do great things. And we've, just, we've just triggered that. We've just gone past the one billion extra revenue raised for poorer countries by this initiative. And the idea there is to strengthen the, the tax revenue capacity of countries of the countries in the global south precisely so that they can vigorously push back against the tax avoidance schemes of multinational companies. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure you'd agree that's a great thing. I'm not hearing an argument against Ireland's 12.5% rate yet, because we both agree, John and I, that under the Biden proposals, US corporations will be paying top-up payments in the US. So why shouldn't we have our 12.5% rate then if, it, if, it's, if it's not causing these companies to be paying less tax? John? It, it's not so much the 12, in fact, in many respects, the 12.5% rate is, is quite irrelevant because Ireland, as I said earlier, is used as a conduit company for shifting profits generated in other countries onwards through to uh, subsidiaries in, in other countries. And that's the concern. Of course, the effective tax rate is far lower than 12.5% in many cases. It's, it's, it's nil. And that is the issue. We still haven't reached that point where the OECD the new measures being proposed by the OECD take effect when, ideally, profits will be taxable in the countries where they are sourced. John, can I ask you something? Just I, I take your point about the OECD, and that's part of this, but an awful lot of the time this seems to ultimately come back. This is a politics podcast, by the way. It seems to come back to American politics. Um, all those companies down the road from me here, they're not German companies or French companies or Japanese companies. They're all originally American companies. The tax loopholes which are available to those companies are there as a result of the dynamics of politics in the United States, uh, and the, the Biden proposals will undoubtedly be inflected by, by that. So is it not not fundamentally the, the the problems which you're identifying are ultimately political problems in the United States, which happens to be, obviously, the country where all these incredibly successful companies come from, of course. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. And I think Fergal made that point earlier on, and I, I agreed with what he said earlier on. It is absolutely a, a matter of American politics. It was American politics going back to the 1950s that shaped uh, the emergence of Tax Haven Ireland. Um, and, and it was clearly was a, 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 an American decision to allow their multinational companies to escape uh, from U.S. tax by using offshore uh, tax havens. Um, and it's American politics that has largely shaped the OECD rules. I wouldn't say entirely because other European countries, the so-called capital exporting countries, where, where the big multinational companies originate from, they have also done their best to block attempts uh, over many decades to reshape the rules for, for the 21st century. Um, I think United Kingdom 
must also take part of the blame. But I think the European Union generally, you know, they've been very lax in their treatment of the Netherlands, for example, and Luxembourg. Ireland is certainly not alone within the European Union as, as, as being one of these tax haven economies. So the European Union must accept part of the, uh, the blame as well. But I think American politics has very much shaped the way in which tax rules developed through the course of the post-war period. Um, and and I, I, I have to say, I, I'm hopeful that Biden, in recognising that this has been very harmful to American interests, as well as to the rest of the world, will take effective action. Fergal, can I ask you a specifically Irish question um, here? And it is that, um, I think broadly everybody would accept that Irish corporate tax policy, probably going back almost to the days of Lamas and Whitaker has been about providing a, as low a corporate tax rate as possible in order to attract foreign direct investment into what had been a very uh, underdeveloped country. And that the the uh, the upside of that for Ireland was vis- envisaged as being increased economic activity, more jobs, more activity in the economy, there'd be more PAYE and more, you know, more, more capital taxes of one sort. It wasn't to raise vast amounts of money out of out of. Uh, Corporate, corporate taxation. But particularly in the last few years, um, corporate tax has become a very significant part of the overall revenue generated by the state. Why has that gone up so much in the last few years? And does that cause potential problems for us in the future as we try and confront what might be a, a rebalancing of that? Yes. And indeed, if I can just do a quick history lesson, our tax policy has changed. Back in 1956, we brought in a 0% tax rate for companies that manufactured and exported. And then when we joined the European Union, the 0% rate wasn't appropriate. And we brought in a 10% rate, whether it was in the financial services centre or for manufacturing. And that really ran until, well, it was phased out in the early part of the century. But in 1996, we announced a fundamental change, Hugh, because up to then, we were a tax incentive country. So depending on what you did or where in the country you did it, you got a different tax answer. So we had the Shannon Free Enterprise Zone. We had the Financial Services Centre down in the docks. Or if you did certain things, you got a lower tax rate. In 1996, the Rainbow Coalition, Rory Quinn was Minister for Finance. He announced we were going to change from being a tax incentive country to a low tax country. In other words, no longer would there be, would it depend on what you did or where in the country you did it. Everybody would get a lower rate. And Charlie McCreevy then implemented that over the subsequent four or five years. So we changed, which was probably a move 20 years ahead of its time. Rather than being a tax incentive country, we became a low tax country. And it has been inordinately successful. You're right about the corporate tax receipts. And it's brought its own dangers. The Irish Times reported in the last couple of days that 10 companies now account for 50% of the corporate tax take. And that means that we're not just susceptible to a change in the economic climate view. We're susceptible to one or two of those companies saying, you know what, we're going to bring everything back to the US or we're going to go somewhere else. So I would absolutely accept that our very success in bringing activities of huge scale and scope here uh, massive value uh, addition, uh, adding activities and taxing those activities has been massively successful. But within there lies a massive risk that we become almost over-dependent on a small number of large multinationals, which comes back to the perennial debate of, you know, should we, how can we help the indigenous sector more and more? But to be very clear, 
if we did not have the multinational sector back during the global financial crisis, and if we did not have the multinational sector in the time of COVID, in both cases providing high uh, value jobs and huge corporate tax payments to the exchequer, Ireland would be in a much worse position today than it is now. But even within that long upward curve of history, which you describe, and even over, let's say, the last quarter of a century since the mid-1990s, when we've had, I think it's fair to say, a huge amount of stability and predictability in the in the corporate tax regime, which we offered to uh, to companies, there's been a particular surge in the last few years, which clearly surprised the government. What, what, what can we ascribe that to? It shouldn't have surprised the government, Hugh, because I, again, uh, through the Irish Times, wrote a piece on this when the OECD process started. And the OECD process effectively, if you think of three buckets of profits that U.S. companies had outside the U.S., you'd a bucket, to use John's phrase, of of tax havens where they were paying 0% tax. You had the bucket in Ireland where they were paying 12.5% tax. And then you had the countries into which they were selling. And they were paying no tax because the way the rules were constructed, they didn't have to pay tax. What the OECD has done is tried to close off tax havens. And it's tried to say some more tax should be paid in the country in which sales have been made. When those sandy tax havens with profits and no activities were closed, U.S. companies either brought that intellectual property into Ireland or they brought it home to the U.S. We got a big gain from that coming on shore. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to lose some of that now because when the OECD process finishes, Countries into which sales are being made are going to now say, excuse me, we'd like some of Ireland's tax and we're going to hand over somewhere between one and two billion. So we've got more tax revenues in as these US companies have abandoned real tax havens and we're giving some of that away. We're at the particular peak at the moment, Hugh, now of corporate tax receipts. And, you know, the minister has said he expects it to go down between one and two billion. And I think he's about right. John, what Fergal describes there is, is I think, the, the natural incredible fluidity that happens in a globalised you know, financial culture. Do you agree with him about the phenomenon that's happened over the last, the last few years or so? As certain loopholes or opportunities in places like the Caymans have shut down, Ireland has benefited as a result? Yes, yes, we, we are clearly seeing a, a very significant and I think historic shift. There have been a steady stream of measures uh, adopted globally, uh, most of which, by the way, I think we, we'd all agree are, are good measures, measures like country by country reporting by multinational companies, which are now a global standard. And that comes out of the Tax Justice Network, but also automatic information between tax tax authorities, which curtails some of the more aggressive and uh, you know tax evasion and so on. All of these things, I think, are making the, 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 the world a better place, um, curtailing corruption and so on. Uh, and, and measures to uh, close down on the offshore shell companies um, and the offshore trusts, which are very often involved in all sorts of corrupt practices. And this is a good good thing. Um, I, I think the next step, and, and, and as we said earlier, Fergal and I are probably in agreement on this, is to move to a regime where multinational companies are taxed on this so-called unitary basis. Look at where their profits are sourced and allocate the profits to taxing to those source companies, countries. Um, and the, the key part of making that work is to ensure that there is a minimum effective tax rate, which of course is why, where Biden's taking us by saying we can. What we cannot allow is this race to the bottom on tax rates, which undermines the ability of um, countries to, to set a, a tax rate. So, so you need to have the two. You need to have this move towards taxing where profits are actually sourced 
and secondly, an effective tax rate set at a sufficiently high bar to prevent a race to the race to the bottom. Um, and and, and that, 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 I think it's the perspective why, why, why Biden is so important, because he's done two things. First of all, he's set a minimum effective tax rate, which, he, although I think it's far too low, I would like to see it set at a much higher rate. I'd suggest that 30 percent is more appropriate. It's certainly higher than what's been discussed within the OECD in recent years. I've been hearing somewhere between 12 to 15 percent. So 21 percent is an advance on that. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not high enough. Um, but more importantly, he's reversed what Trump did, which is to bring the U.S. tax rate, the nominal headline rate, down from 35% to 19%. He's taken it back up to 28%. And in doing that, he sent out a very strong signal to the rest of the world. This race to the bottom on corporate income tax rates has been deeply harmful. And as he said, it's undercut productivity, it's undercut training, it's undercut workers' wages, uh, salaries, etc. It's undercut the real economy in the United States. And, and my, I suppose that the point I'd make to Fergal is, whilst again, we, we, we probably agree that uh, having such a narrow base of small number of companies that contribute to the, to the, 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 the exchequer in, in Dublin it puts Ireland at risk. The antidote to that is to continue with the policy of investing in our education, investing in training, improving Irish productivity, which I think is pretty good, certainly compared to English productivity. Um, um, and, 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 and that's the antidote, because that's the way in which you attract real foreign direct investment in productive activity. Fergal, I'm sure that you agree with that. But can I also ask you the the analysis of the Biden proposals? And it's a very vague proposal, it should be said, is if we've just been given a headline number and some 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 speeches about it, is that the 21%, which John has just described, I think, as too low, is likely to come down in the process of bartering and politicking and K Street lobbying and all the rest of it, which will happen over the over the next few um over the next few months, and that it might well end up at somewhere between fifteen and seventeen percent. Uh, do you agree with that? And if you do, what would the impact of that be in Ireland? Yeah, I, ju- I just want to fill off. John Broad started somehow in the middle, bringing in their uh, tax evasion and uh, nefarious activities. We would be 100% joined at the hip on that. There's no place for that in the tax system, uh, nor do any corporates uh, should or any clients should ever engage in that. I'm not sure it was deliberately designed to muddy waters or anything, but uh, But the U.S. ones are really interesting because it will all boil down to probably Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, the most uh, moderate Democrat there is, because Joe Biden needs to keep every one of his 50 senators on board to get this through. And uh, just to clarify some of the figures, John talked about a corporate rate in the U.S. of 19. It's actually 21, uh, down from 35. And Joe Biden then is suggesting a minimum rate of 21. Nobody, not even his own people, believe that that will be a runner. Uh, Joe Manchin has already said that he believes that the president's proposal to raise the headline rate to 27 is too high. So there's a bit of bartering. And unlike our own Iraq, the system, Hugh, where the party whip will make sure everybody gets in line to, to vote through the proposals, there will be a, a, an inordinate amount of behind the scenes bartering in the Senate and the House of Representatives before this probably appears later in the autumn. Um, if you're asking me where I think it'll end up, I think 15%, it will go as low as that. Um, certainly the signals we're getting back. And I think Ireland will be making a strong case that maybe, Mr. President, you should consider 12 and a half. But if you're asking me to put my money on something, I would say a corporate rate of 25 in the US 
at a minimum rate of 15. But that will be a fundamental change. But you run the risk in two years' time. Uh, already the pundits are calling a shift in the House uh, in, in favour of the Republicans. Might this be a temporary uh, aberration and might the US revert to type in two years' time? Uh, one thing about the 12.5% rate, Hugh, is in good times and bad, through a number of administrations of differing political views, uh, it has remained unchanged. And when you talk to investors, they do mention that predictability and certainty of the Irish regime. I think we could be in, uh, given from, if you take from the, the Trump changes in 2017 and you look far forward maybe to 2020, the midterms in 2022, 24, I think the US could be in for a bit of a roller coaster on tax changes over the next couple of years as the administration potentially could swing back and forth. Uh, but where do I think it'll end up for in, in the autumn? I think 25% headline rate and a 15% minimum rate. Fergal, can I follow up on that, just with my bringing out my inner Marxist-Leninist again? Ireland prides itself as a country on a number of things, on its ethical treatment of countries in the in the developing world and the financial contribution it makes to them, its role in contributing to human rights in, in, in those countries through the UN and other areas. But in this case, are we the bad guys, to quote that famous um, sitcom? Are we taking advantage of what really has been a terrible approach to taxation of the richest people in the world to the detriment of the poorest people in the world. And we've piggybacked very successfully on that. And listening to you there about how the the the, the 21% rate should go down all the way to 12.5%, that seems like a version of that. So when you say the richest people in the world, are you talking about US corporations here? I'm certainly talking about US corporations, yeah. Okay, so would it not be appropriate for the US, as they've successfully done in 2017, would it not be appropriate for the US uh, Congress in the first instance to decide how US corporations should be taxed on the worldwide profits? I think it would, but does that mean that there's no ethical issue involved at all here for Ireland? I don't believe so. We have a 12.5% rate. We've heavily advertised it. And again, if I go back to the minister's comments there uh, last month, which are really important, he needs, uh, the minister says, I fully accept there needs to be clear boundaries to ensure any competition is fair and sustainable. Now, you know, what's so what's wrong with peace, love and understanding, as Elvis Costello might say? Um, there's nothing wrong with fair, sustainable tax competition. And if you're saying that really Ireland should have picked up the baton when US Congress didn't uh, tax its own companies, Ireland should have stepped into the breach to tax them more, um, an interesting proposition, Hugh. <laughs> um, John, I want to actually go back to you on on a, on a point you made earlier in relation to that, just for clarity, because I mean, you um, you describe Ireland as a tax haven. What does a tax haven mean? And in your uh, structure of that, where where what's Ireland's role internationally? Is it a particularly significant one? And why is it a tax haven? Yeah, and the answer to that is 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 Ireland a tax haven? Emphatically, my answer would be yes. Uh, if you look at the corporate tax haven index published by the Tax Justice Network, Ireland features in the top twelve. It comes at number eleven. Um, what is a tax haven? Um, and first of all, I'd make a distinction between the secrecy jurisdiction and 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 and, and there we're talking about those places that offer offshore secrecy through shell companies and offshore trusts and weak compliance with anti-money laundering rules and non-cooperation with information sharing, including you know not not having registries of company ownership on public record. Um, that's uh, those are the distinguishers of a secrecy jurisdiction. 
but a tax haven that is primarily a place that offers facilities for very rich people and powerful, you know, the large multinational companies to shift and disguise their profits. Uh, and very often by offering particularly low tax rates negotiated with the tax authorities. And there the 12.5% becomes irrelevant because by and large we're talking about much, much lower effective rates negotiated uh, with the authorities. Multiple tax loopholes and ta- exemptions, uh, weak transparency on things like filing of corporate accounts and country-by-country country reporting, uh, weak anti-avoidance regimes, Um, fairly aggressive double taxation treaties. All of these things are signifiers of a tax haven. And you're saying that all of those are present in Ireland, including the weak regulation and the etc.? To a differing extent. I mean, if you look at the Irish um, uh, ranking on the corporate tax haven index, it's up on on the website, you'll see that Ireland is relatively good in some areas, very poor in other areas. Um, so it's, it's to differing agrees. As with all countries, it's a different mix of, of, of things. Um, but I want to pick up on something which, um, you know, the, the, the ethics which you just discussed with Fergal, um, something I feel very keenly about, because what we're talking about with tax is not so much a technical issue, it's much more an issue of power. And if you look at the last hundred years, the powerful com- countries of this world have created a regime of tax rules, which are totally dysfunctional, but by and large, they have favoured the interests of the most powerful countries in the world, particularly the United States and the European states, um, and have, have put all other countries, particularly the Global South, at a disadvantage. And everyone knows that this has been the case, and everyone has stood by and watched as the United States and the European Union have blocked attempts to move to towards a better regime of rules. And my position on Ireland is that Ireland has quite simply um, located itself right at the heart of these rules in conjunction with, with successive regimes, successive governments in the, in the United States to allow multinational companies to exploit those failed rules to the disadvantage of the vulnerable and the poorest people in the world. And if that isn't an ethical issue, I've no idea what is an ethical issue. Of course Ireland has been causing harm, along with all of the other powerful OECD countries, to the rest of the world. Fergal. Well, it's interesting. I think we agreed earlier on that uh, Donald Trump, uh, I'm surprised uh, that... uh, John hasn't put up a statue to him, but that Donald Trump had made sure that U.S. companies were paying tax on their foreign profits. So uh, I, I, if, if, if they're paying tax, all we're arguing, John and I, over is where the location of where those taxes should be paid. Not that they should be paying more tax. It's where those taxes should be paid. And in relation to Ireland's tax haven, I, I must set up our organization and then decide that Ireland is not a tax haven. John is saying uh, Ireland is a tax haven because his organization says it's a tax haven. And um, I, I would totally disagree. John talks about no anti-avoidance legislation. We've The revenue commissioners have one of the most powerful tools of anti-avoidance legislation on the statute books since 1989, which has been used successfully in courts, including the Supreme Court, long before Britain, for example, ever had one. John talks about deals, special deals done in the dark of night with tax inspectors. 
Uh, that was thrown out by the courts in the Apple case. That just doesn't happen, John. Uh, it may have happened 30 years ago or 40 years ago when Ireland was emerging as an economy, but it just doesn't happen now. So it's, it's again, I, I think we're agreed. I Both of us share an admiration for Pascal Santaman, uh, who I think is doing an incredibly positive job in reshaping the tax landscape for the next century. Um, we both agree that the rules that have existed for 100 years need to be reshaped to reflect modern realities and modern economies. We're agreed on that. Um, you know, so I, I think we're agreed on a lot of things. I happen to have a philosophical belief based on my 30 odd years working with inward investment in this country uh, that fair, sustainable tax competition is good for Ireland and long may it continue. Gentlemen, we shall leave it there for today, but thanks so much for for your time. Thanks to Fergal O'Rourke and to John Christensen and to our producer, Jennifer Ryan. We're going to be back in your feed very soon indeed, but do remember that you can mail us with your thoughts and questions at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Until then, thanks very much for listening.